0: Hello and welcome to Flash of the DEI, a podcast where we explore topics and ideas related to diversity, equity, and inclusion. My name is Marcus Davis. I am his pronouns and I am the project coordinator in DEI.
1: And my name is Katie Matice. I use they, them, their pronouns and I serve as a director in DEI.
0: For this episode, we wanted to get some basics on disability. This is a community and identity that is diverse and vast. So we're bringing in some Kent State experts to help us with some fundamental understanding. What our glorious guests, mind-introducing themselves.
2: Hi, I'm Amanda Feaster. I use she, her, hers pronouns, and I serve as the Director of Student Accessibility Services here at Kent State. We are so excited to have you uh, talking with us here
1: today. So thank you so much for for being here and spending some time. I'm excited. We're excited. So we're just going to get right on into it. Okay. And we wanted to start off with language because that feels like it would be a good place to start. Yeah. Uh, so could you s- kind of start out by talking about the word disability and give an overview of what that means?
2: Yeah, so the word disability is... Uh, it's a word some people are afraid to use so mm-hmm. my first main point today is don't be afraid of the word say the word um <laughs> we um, sort of in the the disability world there are different ways people talk about if they have a disability what a disability is um and so that the definition of disability that we tend to use most when we talk about disability, Um, from an accommodation standpoint is a federal definition of disability that we get from the Americans with Disabilities Act and Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973. You don't need to remember you. Any, any of those laws <laughs> yeah. ever. Um, we've got that for you. Um, but the those laws set forward a definition that a person with a disability is a person who has a physical or mental impairment that substantially limits one or more major life activities. Hmm. Um, and so those laws give us a list of those major life activities. They were that list was expanded in 2008 to yeah. now include not only the the things that happen in your physical body like your um, your ability to process insulin, your uh, walking, talking, eating, sleeping, breathing kinds of mm-hmm. stuff, but also communicating with other people, thinking, learning, reading, um, those kinds of things that especially in the college environment are really, really essential. Yeah. Um, and so for us, that really opened the door in yeah. terms of who might be considered a person with a disability. Um, that physical or mental impairment piece is... Um, again, sort of a word people tend to shy away from. Um, but we we like to define impairment as the physiological difference in someone's body or brain. So mm. our bodies look different, our brains work differently. Um, sometimes that's really noticeable in our daily lives, and sometimes it's not noticeable at all. Yeah. Uh, the The piece where the disability comes in is when that impairment, interacts with an environment that has barriers in it mm. uh, so our, our physical built environment our, our campus our towns our buildings are built from a, a perspective of a person who maybe doesn't have a physical disability you know we have right. stairs everywhere there are doors you have to be able to turn to open things like that um those that impairment, that difference in someone's body combined with that environment that has the barrier creates disability as a lived experience that has really far-reaching political, social, and economic implications um, for the the person who has a disability. Mm -hmm. Um, We will, this is probably on your list of questions, um, (laughs) but there's a lot of conversation about Do you say a person with a disability or a disabled? Literally our next. Okay, perfect. Uh, So the person first um, language, where we say a person with a disability is preferred by some people um, who tend to sort of take the stance that their disability is not a huge defining part of them. Hmm. It's there, but it's not the main thing. Uh, Identity first language. So when we say a disabled person or an autistic person, might take the stance that their disability is not all of them, but it is a, a part of them that they can't separate out, mm-hmm. and so they are they're they're taking it on as part of how they live their lives because they can't leave it at home or put it in their pocket, mm-hmm. um, and they're they're looking at the world then for those barriers um, that create that environment that disabling environment. So neither one is, is specifically right or wrong, um, especially when you're working with an individual person. Um, it's really important to think about their personal preference and their identity, um, much like we do with pronouns. It's, mm-hmm. it's a sign of respect of who that person is. Right. Yeah. Um, I tend to in my job switch back and forth as just as a way to to note that that both can be correct. Um, also to remind people that it's not negative to say disabled. Mm-hmm. Uh, folks, there are a lot of euphemisms out there of things we don't say when we say yeah. disability. You know, we might say special needs or our k twelve education system has a setup to use special education. But really, everyone has needs, right? Everyone is special. Everyone yeah. needs something from other people. So a, a disabled person with an access need isn't like cute. Almost. Right. So we, right. That when we don't use the word, we um, aren't acknowledging the gravity of what a disability can mean. Um, and we if we shy away from it, it just adds to the stigma for yeah. folks, especially who have not obvious disabilities um, or mental health disabilities who are already internalizing those things throughout society anyway. So there's a, a, a social media movement called Hashtag Say the Word where folks who are disabled are encouraging people to use the word disabled. You don't have to say uh, handicapable was really oh, yeah. popular for yeah. a while, any of those things. Just you use the D word. I dig
1: it. And that's helpful. Cause I think a lot of people are afraid to say it for probably because of they think there's negative well, there is negative connotations and the stigma around it. And so um yeah, not being afraid to say it.
0: Yeah, I think so also, too, with the language, right? If you're not really sure about it, you like, and you freeze in the moment when you're talking with the individual. Uh, But again, like language changes and it's ever evolving. Um, So just as long as we are practicing.
1: Yeah. Uh, It takes work to stay up to date on language. And so like making it part of your life to
2: look into it every once in a while is probably a good move. (laughs) Exactly. That's the, the value of interacting with people who are different, right? So even yeah. if it's just about following a few people on social media who have mm-hmm. disabilities or yeah. who are activists, you're seeing it even a little bit. It doesn't have to be a huge part of your like world to go out and make sure you're using all the right names for everyone's different identities. But just having a little bit of exposure keeps it in, in your mind as yeah. you're going through your life. A good tip.
0: I'm really starting to think that you are looking at our questions because you're just like <laughs> moving right ahead yeah. of everything. We nailed our
1: second question. We're <laughs> <laughs> just
2: so instinct. That's really I, I know it,
0: it's, it's real good. So our the next question that we want to ask is: Can you talk a little bit about the shift towards the social model of disability versus the medical model, and what are those? Why is important um, to talk about it?
2: Yeah. So for our our academic folks out there listening, this will probably feel a little bit reductive um, because there are (laughs) bunches of different types of models of disability Um, you can get. I've got a book that has a lot of them listed. If anybody wants to nerd out with me, feel free to share Uh, some more. um. (laughs) I could open my dissertation and go through them with you, Uh, but they sort of fall into like. Some big camps, right? So we sort of initially started off with a deficit approach to disability, thinking about disability as something that needed to be like treated or cured. Mm. Um, The problem was like in that person and whatever that impairment was, was just a big problem, right? right? So when we started with the civil rights legislation around disability in 1973, that's sort of how the the world and specifically our country thought about disability. Uh, By the time we got to 1990 with the Americans with Disabilities Act, we started to think about sort of the medical model is is what we call it now. Um, And that is where we think about disability as sort of separate from a person. We're still looking for that treatment or cure aspect or some way to sort of remediate it in some way. Um, Still thinking about the deficit being inside the person Mm. Um, And so now with the social model, we think about disability as part of someone's identity. It's part of what makes an individual unique. There is value in that, um, just like there's value in other types of diversity. Um, And we think about the, the actual problem being in the environment rather than in the person. So the problem is not maybe that a person has cerebral palsy and uses a walker to get around. The problem is that our buildings have stairs and not ramps Mm -hmm. that are, uh, you know, there's only one door that has an auto opener on it. That's actually the problem. Mm -hmm. Um, And so because of that, you know, we're sort of consistently then as a culture creating more barriers for disabled people. And we're just, we're fostering that oppression and the exclusion sometimes very literally, right? You cannot Mm -hmm. get into space um, but sometimes, it, in other ways, the way um, we put kids in, you know, different schools or mm. different types of education, or we don't think about sign language interpreters, um, or some of the, especially around mental health, like sort of the the full implication uh, of where a disability is. So we see that show up in a lot of discrepancies between uh, educational degree attainment for college degrees amongst disabled people versus non-disabled people. And then there's a pretty significant wage gap too. And I should have looked up the statistic for you, um, but there's a, you know, a pretty big wage gap as well. And so then too, for folks who have an ongoing permanent disability that impacts their ability to work, being mm-hmm. part of the social security disability system is also a, a whole big thing. Um, and that system too has a lot of barriers in it that in some ways perpetuate some of those inequities. Yeah. So you know I, I think in college it's easy for us to think about disability as something that maybe just shows up on test day. Exactly. Um, but for disabled folks this is it's their whole lives. Yeah. Um it it's, it starts off sometimes at the very very beginning. Some folks acquire their disabilities as they go through life. Some some people are born with them, but from the moment that impairment is is noticeable the the world is the disabling problem. Because mm. it's built from that abled perspective, right?
0: Uh, when you, when you say you it, know, we're looking at our environment, um, it kind of reminds me of a graphic that we show in some of our trainings around equality and equity yes. um, and having those individuals have the same bicycle. And so that's the problem with the environment. We're giving the same, quote unquote, resources. Right, but we're not crafting solutions to make sure that every person uh, is getting what they need.
2: Yeah, we have a, um, an image that I love that we use in our accessibility um, awareness 101 workshop. If anybody wants to kind of hang out with us, where we um, sort of lay out a, a visual of inequality, equality, equity, and then justice.
0: Mm. And with mm-hmm.
2: equity, we're giving folks custom tools that address and identify based off of their individual perspective, um and then justice ideally we we fix the system we have a ways to go on that but that's sort of the end goal yeah around that right
1: yeah Yeah. so you kind of started hitting on this question and kind of all your answers so far Uh, but you could you talk a little bit about some of the myths and misconceptions around the disabled community Uh, and kind of speak to what folks are getting wrong.
2: Yeah. So I think one of the biggest ones that we see, especially when we're working with our students in our office, but just kind of out in the world is that, you know, there's a myth that not many people have a disability, Hmm. Um, but really one in four people in the United States has a disability. So it's 25% of the population. Like that's easily like one person out of a conversation of four people. Yeah. one person out of a family of four, um, four people in a classroom of 20 people, right? So it, it really is something that is much more pervasive than I think a lot of people are, are thinking about. Um, the world bank number is, um, 15% of the world's population. So again, we, you know, when you don't know a lot about disability, it feels like a small, small thing that only impacts a few people, but it really is something that's much bigger. Mm -hmm. Uh, the National Center for Education Statistics um, has calculated that about 19% of college students have a disability. So it's a big number. Yeah. Think about our students, right? Um, there are also a lot of myths around disability being obvious. Mm. And it, it, in reality, um, a lot of disabilities are are not obvious or even evident at all um, in, in looking at somebody or interacting with somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, there is an idea that, like you know, sort of once you're once you're disabled, that's it. You're you're disabled. It'll never change. Um, but people's disabilities look different. Sometimes different days. Mm. I use multiple sclerosis as this example because it can be um, pretty up and down. So some days somebody may be able to literally run a half marathon. Another day they might need a walker or a cane, and another day they may need to use a wheelchair. Mm. Um, they are no less disabled on marathon day when they are able to get around without an aid than they are on wheelchair day. Um, But because of how that shows up differently in their lives and what they're doing, they may need to use different uh, types of aids for
1: that. Yeah. Or people may see them running a marathon and assume they're
2: faking or something questioning them. Yes. Mm. Yeah. There's a lot of, um, a lot of people who have opinions on like who's disabled enough. Mm. For, for accommodations or yeah. for certain types of things. Um, it's a conversation I see a lot at like the Target parking lot. Yeah. You know, you see those, the parking spots that have the the accessibility placard and you see somebody who looks young and thin and spry, hops right out of there. And I think sort of culturally, our first thought is like, did they take their grandma's placard? That person's not disabled. But we don't know, you know, that person- right. We, we don't know what's happening in that person's body. Um, and so when we have that initial thought, it's hard to stop, right? But that's where knowing more about disability can help us check that bias or yeah. to be the person in a group who says, like, well, you don't know. Maybe maybe there's more going on there. Yeah, interrupt um, those like, thoughts. Yeah, to educate people about that. Um, there's a lot of um, myths, too, around disability being too much to accommodate um, or that people with disabilities can't work. Um, mm. That If you have a disability, like, your only choice is is social security, and that's it. Um, people with disabilities don't miss work more than non-disabled people. Um, they are able to work in pretty much every field um, with especially proper accommodation. Um, uh, and a lot of times, accommodations are not that expensive. Or if they are, honestly, it's the it's sort of the cost of remediating an environment, right. um, and is typically not borne by like an individual. Person, Right. It's a company cost of doing business sort of thing in the Mm -hmm. same way that we have folks that might be out on sick leave or maternity leave or paternity leave or whatever, um, just is part of part of that process. And a lot of folks don't even utilize official accommodations in their workplace. So I see that a lot here um, when people have control over their physical workspace or the way their schedule is built or what they're doing each day, they may not need to ask for an official accommodation because they can adjust how they need to. Um, Again, doesn't make them less disabled because they don't have that accommodation. Right.
1: Yeah. I, I remember hearing maybe in one of your trainings or maybe somewhere else that, especially with students, I know you were talking about kind of employees in that instance, a lot of students who came with like accommodations in high school will come to college and might not start out using accommodations Mm -hmm. because of, you know, some of the stigma around it or trying something new. um, But because of oftentimes how you know, classrooms and residence halls are set up, they end up needing to access those spaces because there's not as much flexibility
2: like yeah. in some workplaces. Yeah, that's when we talk with students about sort of what, what life looks like after college, we hear a lot of people say, well, they're going to have to get used to it because there aren't accommodations at work. We have lots of <laughs> yeah. Um, And sometimes folks don't need to ask for formal ones because they can control their space. Right. Um, but sometimes people do ask for those and they are entitled to them. Yeah. Because there are federal laws that require them. Yeah. Um, it, again, might look super different. You might not be taking exams in your daily job as a project coordinator. Right. But you're still in the same physical spaces. Um, you're still managing some of those things. Mm.
0: And so that that kind of goes into uh, creating uh, inclusivity. So can you talk to us about what are certain things that individuals should keep in mind when trying to create communities and places that are inclusive of the disability community?
2: Yeah, so I think one thing that I always like to note is that not everybody with a disability might consider themselves to have a disability. Mm -hmm. Um, They might not identify that way. They might even say we hear a lot. I don't have a disability. I just have ADHD, Mm -hmm. Uh, which is, you know, it's on the list of things that can definitely be Mm -hmm. disabilities. So where you can build in some of that inclusivity and flexibility into your, your approach to things or your physical space, I think it helps let people find, the resource that they might need in that time as they need it. So mm-hmm. I often use um, closed captioning as an example. So I like to watch closed captioning on my TV all the time. It helps me focus. My me niece has um hearing loss. So she needs to have it on. Her little brother and sister call it Bella's words on the TV because <laughs> they know cute. she needs it. They'll grow up that way. That's just how people watch TV in their houses, right? Um where we have opportunities to provide captioning like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Not only are we helping the potential person in the room who maybe is deaf or hard of hearing, we're also helping folks maybe who know six or seven different languages and English is not their first one. So Mm -hmm. this helps to reinforce what they're hearing. Um, We might be helping somebody's grandparents, maybe who's got a broken hearing aid and um, wouldn't necessarily know sign language, but could benefit from seeing those words on the screen. So there's lots of ways you can build in that inclusivity into your space. So where you can build in flexibility um, and encouraging and normalizing people to do the thing they need to do. So Hmm. uh, sometimes it's as simple as saying, you know, everyone's welcome to stand up and walk around if they'd like. You're welcome to sit on the floor, you know, make this space what feels comfortable for you. Some people will take advantage of sitting on the floor, standing up. Sometimes those are people with disabilities. Sometimes they're not. Maybe they're just a little fidgety that day, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So giving people control over the environment to be able to do what they need to do, I think sort of automatically recognizes we have different bodies and brains. So yeah. they're going to show up differently. Um, I think, too, it's helpful to not to be afraid to ask people, you know, what what do you need to participate in this space? Um, and then to model the opportunity to do that with other folks. So um, for people who maybe are a president of an organization or responsible for an event, automatically adding, if anyone needs a disability accommodation, please let me know. Um, Even if you think you know, oh, I know all 10 people coming. None of those people need an accommodation. You don't know. right? Uh, So just like we've all started doing with pronouns, even when we think maybe it feels obvious what our pronouns are going to be. Saying them opens the door for folks to share what their pronouns are and what their experiences are. So um, I also think it's helpful where people feel comfortable to to not be afraid to talk about their own disability. Um, Not everybody feels comfortable doing that all the time. And kind of depending on your role, there can certainly be, you know, a, a little bit of vulnerability that, yeah. comes with that or a lot of vulnerability, um, but where people feel they can sharing those stories. Um, I've heard so many stories of students who've been in a classroom where a professor has said, you know what, I've struggled with anxiety. I know what this feels like. Please come talk to me if I can help, you know, help you figure out how to manage your condition or find a resource on campus, right? You don't have to know everything. You don't have to be a therapist or a doctor to say, I have a little empathy for that, mm-hmm. you know, so just sort of puts it out there, normalizes it as much as you can. It doesn't yeah. make it separate or different. It's just, it's part of who we are. Yeah. yeah. And something that we can talk about. Yeah. yeah. It's not, we don't have to be ashamed of it. It's not a secret. We don't have to hide from it and just talk about it.
0: Yeah, I'm a part of a, um, a, a community of individuals who have children with disabilities um, and they create spaces for them with like very artistic playing music, which allows for them to be in those spaces mm-hmm. to, you know, if they they can't talk, but they hear the music or they're playing the instrument.
1: Yeah, different ways of engaging in a yeah. space, right? So not all programs or events have to all be discussions, right? But exactly, what exactly. are different ways we can do things together and be in community together?
2: Yeah. yeah, and not having any one of those sort of being set up as like the default or the normal, right? Exactly. right? Mixing it up giving people the opportunity to participate, how they feel comfortable. Yeah. It brings, it brings more people in, right? Yeah.
1: I yeah. really like that, the kind of giving people the ability to have control over themselves in the space, right? So being able to do what they need to do in order to be there. Yeah. Uh, that's that's good stuff. So our our kind of last question is, are there any other resources or things that you'd like to share
2: out before we wrap things up? Yeah, so we have, um, it's a partnership between SAS, IT, the Center for Teaching and Learning, and a couple of other offices on campus. We have the Equal Access Academy. Um, So if you go to kent.edu slash equal access, we have a a list of different trainings and resources that we've developed. Some of those are specific to digital accessibility, thinking about like websites and documents. Other things are around that larger like sort of cultural disability piece, sharing some of our students' stories and experiences. Some of it's specific to faculty members, thinking about you know accommodations in the classroom. Um, We're constantly adding to that. So if there are things that you aren't seeing there, that you A, know about or B, want to know about, we would love to hear more from folks about that. So you get Beyond Compliance credit as well <laughs> a employee. Um, a nice little bonus there. We just started, SAS now has social media. Hey. So, SAS underscore KSU on Instagram and Twitter, um, where we are, you know, we're certainly sharing information about our office um, for our students as reminders, but also highlighting Um, some of the our collaborations with other offices on campus um, and then in the spring, hopefully able to then highlight um, other like social media accounts and other people's voices as well. In addition to our students to add a little bit of that um, disability identity, disability justice Mm -hmm. in there for the folks who are are looking for that. and then we're always happy to provide whatever information we can to individual folks if you have a situation you want to talk about or if there's you know a, an aspect of disability we can help you get connected to somebody else about I'm never going to pretend like we have all the answers or we're the experts (laughs) in any way. Uh, But we do know a lot of people and we do (laughs) talk to a lot of people. And so making those connections between students and faculty or one faculty and another or somebody off campus who needs to know about this thing that we know that someone studies. um, Bringing those folks together is one of my favorite things, actually. Um, So if there's something disability, even if you're like, I'm not sure if that's SAS or not. Give, give us a ring. Yeah. We love to to talk about it and, and get folks connected.
1: Yeah. We'll list all the things you mentioned in our show notes, too. So folks listening can uh, check out our description and show notes and awesome. click and find you. Thanks.
0: That makes it sound so official. My I, show notes. I, I love that there's show notes. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, again, Amanda, you want to say thank you for, for joining us and also providing all of this amazing amazing information around the disability community and thank you to everyone for tuning in and listening and if you are interested in learning more about us here in DEI, feel free to check us out on our website at camp.edu slash diversity
1: And if you've got a topic you'd like us to discuss, feel free to email us at diversity at kent.edu or connect with us on social media at DEI Kent State across platforms. And we'll see you next month with a new episode. Bye. Bye,
0: y'all.